Hello and welcome to Management Cast, where some of the brightest minds in the business world explain the commercial concepts shaping industry today. Following our break after season one, we're in the studio again and it's great to have you all back with us. Today, we're kicking off season two with a special, actually the first in several special episodes to start Pride Month. In the hot seat today is Alexander Fleischmann, a research affiliate at IMD who received his PhD at the Institute for Gender and Diversity in Organizations from Vienna University of Economics and Business. Hello, Alex. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Great to be here. Thanks. Alex, I want to jump straight in with that early research institute you were involved in, the Institute for Gender and Diversity in Organizations. Can you tell me a bit about that and a bit about the masters you've told me about offline that you got involved in before? I did my master's in Vienna and it was in the in the mid-2000s already. And at that time, LGBTIQ issues were not really on the agenda of business schools, not even in research. And I wanted to do something on LGBT in the workplace. And initially, my idea was more to have this, how do businesses incorporate it, how does corporate culture evolve when they're doing diversity management in relation to LGBTIQ issues. But the more I read, the more I got intrigued by a thing that emerged in the 1990s out of the humanities that was called queer theory that's still alive today. And queer theory really started to question this center-periphery dichotomy. So where you have heterosexuality as the center, as the unquestioned center and norm, that's what we now know is heteronormativity and homosexuality, bisexuality, and queerness as the marginalized other. And so I started to look into those more deconstructive, more, you know, queer approaches. And I did my master's theory on organizational sexuality and masculinity. And then at the Institute, I got in touch with colleagues and we published some papers actually on queer theory and diversity management. So we were questioning, for example, we're looking at code of conduct. That was in 2008. We were looking at code of conduct of big corporations and we were looking how heteronormativity, how a gender binary is present in those documents. And in 2008 and 2009, this was something that many in the business world, because we invited also people who were diversity managers at that time to lecture series. And when we talked about our research with practitioners who we invited for lecture series and who came to the Institute to talk about their approaches within the business world, when we spoke about this queer theory and diversity research, they really asked us, does it really have an impact on business? Do we really have to care? And I think what we see now is even there is a time lag of 10, 15 years, but those discourses are really present in today's corporations when we look at non-binary, third gender, when we look at third person, they pronouns, and all these issues that with Gen Z come into the business world and really get a momentum at the moment. So I think even though when we look at things that come from like more radical approaches, they really start to have an impact on the business world. Let's just broaden this out. As a researcher, you've had your finger in the pulse of several of these areas of research for quite some time now. What's your perception on how things have moved on, evolved in the LGBTQ community in the last 15, 20 years? 
I think we really made a lot of progress. Of course, one has to be critical. There's still a lot to achieve and a lot to do. But especially, I think, for gay men, there has been a lot of progress. For example, when we look at the past 15 years, when we invited an LGBT representative from IBM in 2005-06 at the Vienna University of Economics and Business, he really spoke from a perspective of, you know, even though the company was appreciating it, he was still in a rather marginalized position, trying to get his foothold in the top management team with his topic. And I think this has changed radically. When I speak to friends and colleagues who are out professionals, they speak about they get 20% of their time, even as top executive, they get 20% of their time allocated to setting up an ERG. They get rewarded for doing interviews, for writing articles in business magazines. So really to present your company as an open and inclusive workplace, this really changed a lot. There is still, I think, a lot to do when we look at LGBTIQ issues as an intersectional issue. Because when we look back at the history of the LGBTIQ movement, it were often marginalized people that really took a stand and they fought. For example, the first person to identify himself as a queen of drag was a black person in the US called William Dorsey Swan. Or when we look at the famous Stonewall riots in New York City in, in 1969, those were really sex workers, trans persons, really marginalized, who went to the street, who said, we cannot stand it any longer. And I think to see that the successes that we now have, we owe to people who really took a stand from a very disprivileged position. I think that's really something that needs to be still on, on the agenda. And so Alex, what drew you to that kind of research? As a gay man studying business in the early 2000s, I was really astonished that there was nothing on LGBTIQ issues in the workplace, in the curriculum. There wasn't even gender studies in the business curriculum when I started to do my master's. So I really wanted to fill this gap. I really had this impression there needs to be some visibility to this issue. And, you know, studying in Europe, in Central Europe at the time, when we looked at Scandinavia or when we looked at the US, there were already studies emerging. So I really thought there is a lot to do and there's a huge research gap to fill. So Alex, you've told me a bit about your past research, why you went into it and your feelings about how much has been done, how much progress has been made in this field. But you've also talked there about how much more still needs to be done. Tell me a little bit more about the specifics of that. What resistance do you think there still is against LGBTQ persons in the workplace? How can a better environment be fostered? I think part of the resistance goes back to this concept that was developed quite early in LGBTQ research in organizations. It's the concept of this myth of the workplace being devoid of sexuality. So I think what we still hear today 
when we speak about LGBTIQ issues is that, okay, everybody should do what they want to do in their bedroom. Sexuality has nothing to do with the workplace. Everybody is free to do whatever they want in their private life, but this has nothing to do with the workplace. And I think this really it can be connected to these things that I said at the beginning, this center periphery thing, because when we look at the workplace, actually sexuality, not sex, but sexuality is actually present the whole day. When I come to the workplace on Monday and I talk about my weekend and I talk about my partner, this speaks about my sexual orientation. If I report about, you know, having spent the weekend with my wife or with my husband. So it's present all the time when I have a picture at my desk of a woman or a man or a non-binary person. This speaks a lot about sexual orientation, desire. So it's present throughout the workplace. So what I think how this resistance can be overcome is to say, okay, this is a work environment for everyone. And those who are in a privileged or majority position should reflect on how they maneuver their daily work life without hurdles or with different hurdles and how this can be for people from different walks of life. So I think we really have to work towards seeing how the workplace can be inclusive for everyone, how people from a majority background can take a step back, listen, learn, and I include myself. I don't know everything on non-binary. I don't know everything about the trans spectrum. So when I'm talking to people who self-identify as trans, I try to listen, I try to be receptive, I try to take their position seriously. And so does that environment where companies, where managers, people within the organization are more open to listening, is that something that needs to extend internally and externally? Is that something that we need to do more in our hiring practices? It's extremely important because when we look at the situation companies are in at the moment, the last three years, we've seen tremendous change. And also with newer generations coming to management positions or entering the workforce, we're really seeing a shift in attitudes, social movements that hold for social justice and for visibility. They really have an impact on organizations, on companies. So companies have to react. They have to think, how can we get, you know, talents from all walks of life? How can we make them feel at home, if you want, so within the company, because often companies are aware of attracting diverse talents, but once those talents are within the company, they are really rewarded according to the status quo. So they are awarded for doing the things, how things have been done for decades. So what we need is to have this kind of change of organizational cultures towards a more pluralistic approach so that when new people come to your organizations, they need to remain authentic, they need to remain themselves, they need to be able to bring in new ideas, fresh ideas. You need to create an organizational environment 
that's psychologically safe, where people can speak up from a marginalized position, can speak to power, if I may use this social movement term. So you really have to change your organizational culture to reap the benefit and to make your organization more resilient. And also organizations have to think about their role within society, what they can do for social progress. And with ESGs becoming more and more important with shareholders and other stakeholders really looking for social investment, sustainable investment, companies really have to recalibrate their position within societies. They have to look for their purpose as members of global societies. So I think these issues are becoming more and more important and LGBTIQ issues are part and parcel of this journey. Can you tell me a bit more about that, the practicalities of this? You mentioned ESGs. What are the kind of structures within organizations and how would they work to promote these kind of ideas? Well, ESGs or environmental, social and corporate governance goals are really gaining momentum. Organizations are no, no longer only measured by their profit, but also what they contribute to society, how sustainable they are in an ecological sense. So LGBTIQ issues are really part and parcel, as I said, of this journey. So companies really have to look into their policies. Do I have the same rights for same-sex couples? Do I have policies and trainings in place when people transition from one gender to the other so that also clients that call you on the phone are aware that this person has a different gender now. Is there, for example, in my email signature, is there a line to say what my pronouns are? Are there gender neutral toilets in place? This might be seen by some as a marginal topic, but actually how you treat marginalized people, how you treat the minority says a lot about how you see your whole organizational culture, if you see it really as a progressive, inclusive culture that wants to thrive in today's environment, I think your culture can be measured how it deals with marginalized positions, while at the same time, and I think that's the biggest task of the upcoming years, is how to bridge this understanding of, in colloquial terms, catering for individuals or catering for minorities, for underrepresented groups, while also making clear that developing your culture benefits each and everyone. So it's not about making, if I may say, minority politics, but to say, how can we evolve our overall culture, how can we make it inclusive for everyone by looking how formerly underrepresented groups or marginalized groups are treated. Alex, at the start of our conversation, you spoke about the evolution of LGBTQI issues in the workplace. 
in the time that you've been researching them, looking ahead to the next 10, 15, 20 years, are you optimistic that some of the things you mentioned can be bridged, that these cultures can evolve? I am, because when you look at, I don't know, social media, when you look at standard linear media, it has evolved amazingly over the last yeah, 15, 20, 20 years. So we really see much more representation of LGBTIQ people on the news, in TV shows, in movies, etc. So I think this becomes, in a sense, a new normality. Of course, there's also resistance. There's also a cultural backlash, if you want to say. But I think when we are able to frame it as a benefit for everyone, even a white, cisgendered, heterosexual man can benefit from a culture where it's safe to speak up about, you know, your private life, where it's safe to speak up about work-life balance issues, no matter what your family situation is. So I really think that one can be optimistic, but of course, you cannot take anything for granted. And I think companies are wise to keep their eyes open towards social movements, towards newer generations and what their needs are. When you look at the figures, Gen Zs are tremendously in support of Black Lives Matters, are tremendously in support of LGBTIQ issues. A large proportion identifies as non-heterosexual, non-binary. So it's really opening up this binary of either man or woman, this binary of heterosexual or homosexual in all terms. This is really opening up. And for businesses, it's really crucial to take this up, to be aware that times are changing and that businesses have to cater for a more diverse and more broad clientele than they did 10, 15, 20 years ago. Thank you, Alex. I think that's a really great place to finish up there and an optimistic note to look ahead to our other specials during Pride Month. I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Alexander Fleischmann received his PhD at the Institute for Gender and Diversity in Organizations from Vienna University of Economics and Business. He is now a research affiliate at IMD. See you next time.